Are you not entertained? Get busy living or get busy dying. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. Welcome to Taboo Talk with Jay Louder. I'm sure some of you are already curious, how in the world can you name a podcast The Blessings of an Affair? Well, we're going to explain that on today's podcast, and I'm super excited about who we have on. Chad is a longtime friend of mine. Chad is a guy who's worked with FCA. He has a long record of working and helping students. Not only that, Chad used to be on staff. Well, first of all, he was a board member. And then also uh, became a staff member and traveled with me all over the country. We've been in prisons and we've been in churches. Chad is a master communicator. He played collegiate football at North Carolina State University there in the Raleigh-Durham area. And just a great friend of mine with a great story, great communicator. Chad, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Jay, man. Dude, I just want to say how excited I am to be on here with you, man, as you allude to our friendship. Because uh, and you are like a brother to me, and some of my fondest memories are our travels together. And you know, like I said, maybe we'll do that podcast through our illustrious stories of late night putt putts and bowling and stuff. But it was great to see how God used Harvest Ministries, man. And I hope people, man, I just I'm just praying blessings on your ministry and this podcast that people will see that the office of the evangelist and, and what God's called you to do and gifted you to is so important that we need the gospel message. We need the cross so much more in our world today. So, dude, it's an honor. It makes my heart sing and feel so good to know that my brother Jay felt good enough to call me and my wife to share our story and whatnot, man. So, hey, gosh, just thank you so much for uh, allowing us to share, man, because it's, it's so needed, um, so needed what you're doing right now. Well, man, I appreciate that. And, of course, you can't see me because I'm, I'm here in my home state and, and you're actually on vacation. But, man, I got a big smile on my face uh, I don't want to get too far into that, but we have had some, some great trips together. Matter of fact, when you started talking, I was thinking about our, our time in London. And, uh, man, what a blessing that was. Well, man, let's launch right into the podcast. I know a lot of people are super curious. Probably some people are already wondering what in the heck is going on, the blessings of an affair. How can there possibly be? Man, let's just start off. Tell us how you met your lovely wife, Katie. Yeah, Katie and I, um, we met in Fort Collins, Colorado, um, on a, what we call a summer project. Um, many people may know this worldwide ministry called Athletes in Action. Um, it's part of Campus Crusade, or Campus Crusade is called Crew now. Um, Katie and I, she's from Tennessee. I'm from North Carolina. Um, she was at the University of Tennessee playing soccer. Me at NC State, as you just referenced. And we just, we met out there with 44 athletes from all over the country just to spend a summer getting close to the gods. So that's how we met. And then one thing led to another, and, you know, I fell in love, she fell in love, and we were married 13 months later to the day um, that we met out in Colorado um, and, and got married. So, you know, two Christians, two athletes, um, both similar paths, and, and it's kind of cool that you're going to hear from Katie next week because, you know, her story of, of this part is, is tremendous too. But, um, but, yeah, we met out there that summer of 1995, man. Yeah, well, I'm a, I am excited about having her on next week, and that gives people an opportunity to hear her story as well, which her story is equally important, and uh, gives people an opportunity to relate depending on which end of this situation they might potentially be. Now, Chad, tell me, how long had you been a Christian um, and Katie when you guys married? Yeah, I, I tell people part of my story, and I'm going to get into the weeds of it, but 
you know, 11 years old, my dad was a cop and a pastor. So interesting, you know, ramifications there growing up with a cop and a pastor. My dad um, said yes to Jesus at age 30 and just left that profession when he a pastor. And, and I had an experience at 11 years old, but it was really 19. So I tell people that, you know, from 11 to 19, I can't put a, a finger on it. And some people want to nail that down. But 19 years old, man, is when I said yes to Jesus. I cried out in my dorm room in NC State. So, you know, I've been walking with, with the Lord um, in my heart, knowing had true salvation um, from 19. Let's see, I met Katie a year later. So, you know, been trying to actively walk with the Lord, being born again for about a year before I met Katie. Katie says she got saved at, at 14 years old, so she had been a little bit longer. But both of us, at the time we met, had had previous not been walking. We both had had prom- promiscuous relationships, um, and we were both actually trying to get away from um, that me a little bit more on some partying side of things. She didn't party as much as I did, but still the promiscuous relationships. But yeah, so me, you know, 11 to 11 to 19, 20, you know, knowing about God, but 19, that year, year and a half, is, is I had that kind of that, that runway before I met Katie. So if I understand right, I mean, you guys were both believers. So, I mean, at least you had that going for you when you got married. But, but if I'm understanding and decoding this correctly, although you guys were both Christians, you weren't real strong spiritually. Is that what you're saying when you guys first got married? No, especially me, Katie. I would I would put Katie a little bit stronger. She was a little bit more serious, a little bit more mature. She, I mean, she she's eighteen, not eighteen. Excuse me, fourteen months. I was about to age my own wife, but my wife is fourteen months older than me. But it's not, it's not a ton of um, a ton of difference. But it, when you're nineteen versus twenty, there's a little bit of difference. She was just graduating college when we met. I still had a year left, so there's some there's some things. But yeah, we we were. We were not spiritually mature. I would give Katie the the lead on that one for a few years after that. And I I was just, man, where I was at that point when we got married, it was kind of, I don't know, you've owned some uh, pretty big dogs, and I've got a big dog, a German Shepherd. It's like the big dogs, they go through that that weird, long-leg, goofy stage, right? It's kind of like. It's kind of like where I was spiritually. I had these long, goofy legs. Didn't know what to do. Like, I'd never even done a quiet time until I um, got to Colorado that summer and, you know, what they were putting us through and just learned even how to do a quiet time and have a personal relationship with Jesus. So, I mean, that was the first time in my life that it was more than just a Sunday service, um, do these parochial, you know, things. And, and, you know, being a Christian was more of a cultural tag than it was an actual personal faith. So that's where I was personally, that really infancy and and, and following after God personally. Yeah, well, and there's a lot of people, Chad, that that would resonate with that statement, especially people who have grown up in the South where church is something that you do, you know, on a regular basis, even if you're not a believer. Now, so you guys had had a great start from the standpoint of you're both believers, maybe not strong spiritually like you'd like to be. So how long had you guys been married when things started going off the rails. Um, I, I say off the rails when, when things started taking a turn. Yeah. I mean, I mean, where the name of the podcast gives you that's that's the adequate, I mean, an affair that things go off the rails when you, when you get to that point, but you know, it's, you know, the first couple of years, I mean, I guess there's some t- typical, typical, uh, stereotypical kind of the first year was okay. Second year started kind of, you know, the compression of marriage, um, you know, marriage is a people growing process. So once you get past that newlywed honeymoon phase and all those little things that used to make you giggle and laugh, start to annoy you and, you know, all that stuff. Um, it was probably after I graduated college, um, 
got into North Carolina Highway Patrol and, and had an injury, and that didn't work out, and, and spent a lot of time kind of back and forth on some jobs, not really holding down some financial stuff to the level of Katie was holding down. So that began to cause tension um, um, with her um, because where she was in her life, it was a lot of safety and security and, and wanting me to step up, not only just spiritually, but also financially. And so about year three, um, those things of me not really having a great paying job and, and, and not doing those things. And spiritually, I still wasn't, I mean, we started to do some things spiritually that were more mature and we got involved um, right before um, all the, all the stuff went down with the affair. You know, we were, we were aiming in a good direction spiritually with some accountability in church, but yeah, man, it was, um, it was probably year three where the tension and the things started to happen um, that you could see like the, when I say tension, like just even the words you spoke, I mean, you, you've been married um, about as long as I have, and you know that like when you get on each other's nerves, it's, it's like you start to say things when you get a comfort level that are just not healthy. And, and so, yeah, about year three, um, we started seeing that tension, those things start to kind of unravel, if you will. Yeah, well, and I mean, I think most people could relate that, you know, you first get married and the honeymoon kind of goes on for however long and, and eventually you start seeing other things that maybe you didn't see and just adjusting to one another. So, so that makes sense, man. So did you guys already have kids at the time that, that things started getting off track or, or, or not? No, not when they started kind of getting off track, the tension was building, um, you know, before the child. And then we, you know, we got pregnant with our first child and, um, which you know, I, that was, I would that was imagine fun. probably too, since you mentioned there'd already been financial pressure, that probably didn't help anything on the financial end either. No, I mean, kids, I mean, I have four kids now and kids are the most incredible blessing in the world. Um, man, it's, it's awesome being a father of four kids, but I mean, there's no, there's no skirting the issue. The marriage itself compresses and refines and grows you. And you add, add that, that of being a father and a mother, it, it, it compresses even more. So, um, and then, too, there's all sorts of psychological things that go on with, with having a child and, you know, how the child can even become a wedge. You know, we've seen that in, in, in people, how the children become a wedge. Thank goodness our children haven't become a wedge in our, in our marriage, and we can get to, you know, some of those nuances there, you know, how we got past the affair. Because, the, honestly, the affair, and I'm not giving the punchline now, but the affair for us, and that's why I'm so glad you're calling it the blessing from affair, because it, it really – ended up being a blessing. It was a massive linchpin that was kind of a demarcation watermark of like what the scripture says in the Old Testament, choose today life or death. Um, but having, having uh, my first child, Sierra, when Katie got pregnant, things weren't horrible, but you know, it just, that, all that tension never really went away. Um, broken expectations. Me, um, our first business, we went into business for ourselves and that was going well. Um, so, you know, it, the finances started to get better and have some independence, but, you know, it just never, we were never, never getting there from a maturity standpoint, especially in my life. I, yeah, I'm going to own up to everything that led up to this affair. Kate, Katie will own her part. She'll tell you, hey, it takes two, but I'm the one that made the decision to step out um, and allow the, the sin in my heart and my mind to give birth to some death. Um, but, yeah, it was, um, the child was so new that it didn't get a chance to upend things. I mean, for us, the children have actually been more of a blessing and a gathering of our marriage and stealing of our marriage than a breaking apart because the affair was like right at the beginning of the birth of our, our, our first child. Yeah, well, no doubt, and I get that. I mean, 
obviously kids are a blessing, and we know even the Bible says that. But at the same time, there is additional pressure that comes along with kids. Just the finances. I mean, man, screaming baby up all night long. I mean, man, I've, I've been through yep. that. So, yeah, I, I get it. What was going on in your life, Chad? I mean, you mentioned a few things, but were there some deeper issues that got you to this place where here you are on a tipping point? I'm sure you never fathomed a dream that you would ever be involved in an affair. I mean, there, there's got to be some steps. I know in my years of traveling, I've talked to a lot of people, and a lot of people have wanted to discuss situations like this with me and try to get help. And I'm not saying that it never happens, that somebody just flippantly drops off the planet and and has an affair out of nowhere, but I've never seen it. Every single person I've ever met that's come to me, whether it was a man or a woman, it always started out as an innocent thing. It wasn't like they were walking down the street and met somebody and said, hey, let's hook up. In most cases, it was a friendship or a coworker, and it started out as an innocent thing and eventually led to, to an affair. So what were some of the issues that may have played a role, Chad, in getting you to this place where maybe you were liable, where you were vulnerable, I should say, to an affair? Yeah, and just even speaking to your point, you know, Hollywood is so romanticized that, you know, hookup, and it's sad that even um, – it's romanticized the, the even having an affair. I, I, I know there's a website out there. Um, it's just research I've done over the years to try to help couples and kind of know the engage the temperature, especially once it happens to me and you want to kind of dive into who is really out there engaging the stuff. And it's sadly way more than you realize. Like there's even websites and, and sites of, of people specifically looking to have an affair. It's just so sad that that is, is kind of glamorized and it's man, what, what a, what a faint, picture uh, of romance and intimacy but in my life specifically especially um standing 20 almost 21 years past it man i'll start with the deeper issues there's 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 always deeper issues man there's there's always no doubt rooted in rooted emotional spiritual and for me let, let's start with some things that I, I think are very important for people to understand because it helps you look at your past your what happens to you is not an excuse for you to go crazy right um no. just because just because i was hurt and things happened to me just because Katie was doing certain things and saying certain things was no excuse for me to go um, do what I did. But I'll start back when I was 11 years old. Um, I was sexually molested by a older boy in our church. Um, and I'm so thankful that you're doing taboo Christianity, man, because I'm telling you, um, we don't need to glorify the scandals, but because we swept things under the rug for so long in the church, this is one, it's why the outside world looks at us and doesn't want anything to do with us, but also people can't get the healing and the hope and the blessing that you're trying to bring to them right now because we sweep these doors. I'm not excited as a 47-year-old man to tell you I was sexually molested 11-year-old by a, by a 16-year-old boy. You think that excites me? No, it doesn't excite me, but it needs to be told. It happens at a regularity to people. Heck, look at the SBC stuff that just came out. We, we It's happening out there. So that was one instance that was kind of a, scarring i got introduced to pornography at 11 by that guy and some other friends so i was at an early age introduced to pornography and just the salacial aspects of the sexual perversion um that that the enemy is coming after us with and and i got sexually involved early in my life um pornography became a just entrenched in who i was even from the time i was 13 years old and it just built and it built and it built and you know, well, and let me say, man, and I, I don't want to dovetail here because I want to stay on track, but uh, Chad, I love what you said um, about 
the church sweeping things under the rug, and I, I think it's extremely important, especially when you talk about porn. Um, and matter of fact, we've got an upcoming podcast that it's with a guy who was addicted to porn. He's now actually a preacher of a church. But I love what you said about how it skewed things, and especially the younger audience, because they have porn available in their back pocket. And what they see on video, they perceive to be the way a normal natural relationship works, and it doesn't. So, man, I don't want to get you off track here, but I just I think what you said is very important. So you were saying that some of these factors that led up to it, one of them being the abuse, I'm sure some of our listeners can relate to that, and then you mentioned porn. Keep going. Yeah, I mean, and the, and the, the porn was just kind of, it, it not only excuse it, mind maps you. You get a false mind mapping of what um, is attractive to you, of what is expected in marriage. You know, one of the things that, and I don't, I don't want to, the church is us, man. We're, we're the bride of Christ. Right. So you don't want to, you don't want to beat your brothers and sisters up. But let's talk about the organization of the church. One of the things that's not dealt with adequately is these, these expectations to go into marriage, especially with a young guy. I was 20, 21 years old, and I had this understanding that, oh, I'm going to get married. I'm going to basically have free sex all the time because it's right and it's legal in, in the spiritual realm. So that's going to fix all my issues. It's going to fix my porn addiction. It's going to fix my perverted desires. And really, I didn't have language to it. I only have language now because I'm way past that situation. But at that time, I thought it would fix everything. And it was contrary, man. It actually made it worse because that's one thing that uh, when you get married, and I'm praying that some uh, soon-to-be or newly married people are listening to this podcast so they can hear the, the, the scars I have and learn from those. Because I tell people all the time, my, my failures have become my greatest success. I don't recommend anybody stepping out of their marriage bed. The, the statistics do not um, are not favorable. I was just re, re, um, kind of reviewing some stuff last night before this podcast. Only 16% of marriages survive an affair. I mean, Katie and I have witnessed that over 20 years of counseling and, and working with other couples, but and just that stuff gets in you and it just polluted my soul and my identity and my everything about my expectations for the opposite sex. And so even though I, was, I fell in love with Katie, she was attractive to the eye, but she was attractive emotionally and spiritually. I never grew past some of those deeper rooted. Some people, some people use the term generational curses. I personally doctrinally believe in some of those curses, you know, that how they can, they can pollute your, your bloodline in, in, in essence. And Katie and I have, you know, done things in our marriage the past 20 years with our kids to pray against, speak, speak against that, those things and kind of help our children um, move past the kind of the curses that Katie and I um, took on and inherited that we didn't even realize about. But, um, but yeah, man, the pornography was a huge player in that sexual kind of, even kind of pointing me in that direction compass-wise to be vulnerable um, in some ways to the affair. Yeah, well, not to mention, too, especially, you know, for younger people like you that grew up watching porn, you build those expectations based on what you see in thinking that that's what a normal, healthy sexual relationship is. And obviously, it's nothing anywhere near that. So you've talked a little bit about, you know, you were a believer, where are you at spiritually now? Are you still going to church? Are you reading the word? Or are you just completely, man, in left field away from God? You're talking about now, present day, or now no, no, no. where we are in the story? No, now, <laughs> okay. you know, you talked about y'all were believers, and you weren't really a strong yeah. believer. But we're talking about a couple of years down the road, right before this affair takes place. Where are you at spiritually? I mean, are you guys going to church? Are you reading the word? Or are you just a million miles away from God? 
we weren't a million miles away from God, and we start we were we were chasing after the Lord. That um, about ninety nine, so about nineteen ninety nine to about two thousand and a half, two thousand one, because later half two thousand, beginning of two thousand one was every, when everything um, when the top blew off. So for about a good almost two years, we were active in a church. We were we were had discipleship in our life, um, and that's what actually one of contributing blessings that we can get to later on is we had a couple that we met in 1999 that was in our life at the time. And quite frankly, if we had not met them and had them in our life, I mean, God can do anything. He's a master chess player that sees all the avenues of your decisions. But this couple, this older couple that was in our life at the time was huge in helping with the restoration. So we were chasing after the Lord, man. We were spiritually thriving, which is interesting that like we were spiritually thriving but because of some of the underlying things I just gave you, especially with boundaries, man, I know Katie's going to talk about boundaries a little bit more, um, but boundaries are massive for men and women to, in some ways, use the term affair proof your marriage. But I didn't know boundaries. I wasn't taught a lot of spiritual things. I wasn't, it's like I just told you a few minutes ago, um, at 19 years old, when I went to Fort Collins, Colorado, was the first time I ever learned how to have an actual, a quiet time or to let me take the churchies out of that. A time of me and God sitting down in the Word, praying and talking with Him and seeking after Him, not just for information, but for a relationship with Him. So I hope that defines quiet time for people that are listening a little bit better, because um, I know I can get a little churchy because I've been around it so long. But that was the first time I even experienced that. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we were, we were thriving, man, um, at the time. And so it's interesting that we were thriving spiritually, but there was this undercurrent. You know, it's kind of like a volcano. The volcano looks healthy and good, but there's always magma going on underneath. Um, and, and it could, uh, you know, I was just watching, I like watching the uh, documentaries, um, you know, Yellowstone, watching something from Yellowstone the other day. They're always talking about how there's, there's so much rumbling under Yellowstone at all times. But when you go to Yellowstone National Park, you see the beauty and the springs and the things like that. It looks healthy, but underneath, it's a potential disaster. And so that's kind of where we are. We're healthy in a lot of ways, but... There was underlying things that we didn't even know at the time that just blew their top off. Well, and I think that for some people, I mean, this is this is a warning. You know, this, this is something that that for those of you that are listening, I mean, you heard Chad just say that, I mean, they were thriving spiritually. And I think it would be easy to get lulled to sleep with maybe some people even listening to the podcast going, you know, this will never happen to me. Man, we're, we're doing well. Everything's going good. Everything's on the up and up. Um even if you're not a believer, you know, you think your marriage is going well. And so we're not in a vulnerable place. There's not any weak spots or, or maybe you are a believer and you're going, well, Hey, you know, we're rocking and rolling, man. We're involved in church. We're involved in the discipleship group or whatever, man. We read the Bible. We pray together. Well, I mean, you just heard Chad say that, yeah, that's where they were too. But just because you're in that place doesn't mean that, that there's not an enemy seeking to attack you and, and destroy your marriage. So, Chad, how, how did the affair start, man? How did it escalate? You know, I mean, you guys were, were doing well spiritually. You, you gave a great metaphor that there was an undercurrent going on that, you know, outwardly things looked good, but there were some rumblings underneath. So take us a little bit further, and how did that end up launching into an affair? Yeah, and give me 30 seconds. I want to piggyback on something you just said because I think, you know, something I've noticed over the years is just understanding, you know, how you could be, in the church, going to Bible study, all these things, then boom. Matter of fact, I even said it out of my mouth a couple of years before this even happened. I don't know how anybody could, have, could cheat on their wife. I said it to somebody. Like it what just wasn't fathomable that it could happen. But what has happened and what I saw and now I can look back is 
church becomes therapy and not a transformative, life-changing. When, when the scripture says you're born again, like we lose sight of what that true word needs to be born again, to be set apart. You're being sanctified. You're being changed completely. And so there was just, I just want to ping on that, that it was just, I, I was like, I was in therapy in essence, but I wasn't getting better. So that not getting better deep down is what led. So I'm, I'm in business for myself. You know, Katie and I have tension going on in our marriage. Um, even though we're spiritually doing better, we're aiming in some good directions. Um, you know, you start spending time with people that are around you. And, you know, I didn't have good boundaries. So with the, with the females, I was, even Katie would tell me, you're too flirty. And see, I thought I was just being nice. And I was like this, just honestly, this ignorant guy that um, had insecurities. And so you want to be liked. And so you talk and I'm a talker and make people laugh. And, and sometimes you're not thinking what you're doing. Sometimes you are um, uh, consciously manipulating the situation to get those platitudes and, and those reactions back. And, you know, when you have an, um, you know, an attractive female um, that works for you and, you know, she begins to you know, speak to you like you hoped and wished your wife would on some, you know, those, 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 those uh, things, those sweet things and whatever else, uh, you, you know, you desire at the time. And, um, and then you start to begin to talk. I mean, conversations are where a lot of this stuff are. That's why now in our life, mine and Katie's boundaries are so strict and so fortified of, of how we deal with the opposite sex. Um, you didn't get there yet. But, you know, so it just started with conversation. It started with spending time. It started with, you know, me allowing um, those whispers, those sweet, those sweet whispers of the enemy. I mean, it really was a fork tongue situation. And me, me starting to believe that and me starting to take my gaze off of my wife and put my gaze on this lady. And, you know, over time, you know, one thing led to another. And, you know, the listeners don't have to have a charts and graphs to know what goes down in the fair. But it, it started with the time and the conversations and changing my gaze and listening to the things that this lady was telling me that I wanted to hear from my wife. And so, you know, I was getting someone treating me with the, Hey, you know, even, you know, little stuff like, you know, you're so fine, things like that. I'm, I'm getting in the weeds a little bit, but just, just what I know the readers, the listeners need to hear that it starts. You've got to learn how to pick out those sweet sayings, those things that ping your emotions that when somebody when somebody's telling you those things, they really are a forked tongue talking to you. Um, and so that's kind of how the affair got started and, and got going. Well, one of the things that I've seen, and of course I've been in ministry, man, a long time, and so I've run into this countless times. And I think some people on the outside that have never experienced it or maybe don't even know anybody or have anybody in their inner circle that's gone through an affair presumes that let's say in the case of a man having an affair with his wife, since that's what we're talking about today, that a man left his wife for some younger, prettier. And I'll tell you right now, in, in my experience, that's not been the case. And in the majority of cases that, that I've encountered in my years of ministry, there's a common denominator and really you just hit on it. And that is that this man and, and I think some women don't really understand how big of a deal it is to men of uh, this affirmation, uh, this, you know, feeding the ego. And I'm not saying that it's right. I'm just saying it is what it is. I mean, it, and matter of fact, I know uh, of, of a preacher that um, of, of a mega church and uh, man just had a incredibly sweet, kind, gentle, not even to mention she literally was a, a gorgeous wife. 
and he left his wife for another woman that looked nothing like, and obviously it's not all about looks, but I'm just saying who he ran off with, you would have never presumed he would have left his wife. It later came out that she was doing kind of what you talk. She was doing what you said you were lacking at home. And she was feeding that ego, telling him what a great preacher he was and what a great communicator he was and, and how handsome he was. And so again, I'm not justifying anything. I'm just stating a fact that, Oftentimes, it does stem from this affirmation that men weren't getting anywhere else. I don't want to get sidetracked on that. So moving on, tell us, Chad, you know, how did you get caught? I mean, what happened? Get, kind of give us the details of that, how it, how it all came out in the light. You know, just last night I was reading in Mark, and the scripture says, what you do in darkness is eventually going to come to light. So, so tell us about that. Absolutely. And it was just that I got caught. I was, in, I was not in a frame of mind to to confess or I wasn't looking to end. I just told somebody, um, that actually that night, um, I just told somebody on, on this, you know, this, this night on the town with, with a bunch of people I shouldn't have been hanging out with. Um, and alcohol was involved. I just told somebody that night, Hey, I'm going to divorce Katie. You know, this is not working out. Got married. So, you know, just all the excuses the enemy had put in my brain. I was allowing to, to him to believe, I allowed myself to believe and, um, just came home and Katie put two and two together. She's a, smart, educated lady, um, she put two and two together and started asking questions. And, you know, I guess I, I had enough, um, inebriation in me that I was willing to speak, but also I think there's some, there's some enough of, a, of the spiritual current there that I wanted to, um, I wanted to be known. It's funny how you can be in a situation where you don't have any plans to get out of it, but there's something, especially a believer, there's something gnawing at you. Cause I, I knew what I was doing wrong. Um, and you kind of do, but you're scared of the results because it is scary. Um, when you do something like that, it the repercussions are pretty pretty damaging. And as I just mentioned earlier, with six only sixteen percent of marriages even surviving an affair. I mean, I just knew if divorce in my mind at that time, divorce is the only way I could go because if I told her it wasn't gonna go well, which and her reaction was typical. I mean, anger, hurt, devastation. Matter of fact, she tells people that she, it was she was blindsided. She never never thought in a million years that would happen. And like I told you earlier, that I said a couple of couple three years before this, I couldn't believe how people cheat on their wife, but now I do see how that can get there. And so, um, well, as, as, soon, and, and, as soon as you, you think that, you know, hey, I could never do something or it could never happen to me, man, that's a recipe that, man, you're on dangerous ground. Maybe the next person to fall when, when Katie found out, I mean, obviously, and of course she's going to tell us her story next week and, and, uh, common sense here, man, she, she would have had to have been completely devastated, especially since she never saw this train coming down the tracks. So when she found out, man, were, did you go to her in repentance? Like, man, Katie, I dropped the ball. I'm sorry. Because it sounds like, if I understand what you're saying correctly, I mean, there wasn't that. You were kind of thinking about leaving Katie anyway. So did you stop the affair and say, hey, I'm I'm done with it. I want to save our marriage. Or or, or, or where were you at? Yeah, it, it kind of stopped-ish for a little bit. Um, I was kind of, like I said earlier, the, the proverbial word is caught. I was caught, but I wasn't repentant. And I do in a little bit, want to speak into that. We get into kind of the other side of it. What really was transformative through this experience, the blessing out of this. But yeah, I, I, I was callous. My, my emotions and my heart were callous to my marriage. I was not thinking clearly of the ramifications. I wasn't thinking of, you know, all I was in, I was in the moment of what felt good in that bad, those bad choices with this other female like I, I was just in that daze. I was so focused on that situation the, the good, good to the proverbial um, 
colloquialism, the grass, I was seeing the grass greener on the other side, which there's never grass greener on the other side. You got to tend it and water it and fertilize the other field too. Um, so there's never a, a better field really. Um, but that's where I was. I was, I was thinking my field was torn up from the floor up and the field I was looking at and engaging in was the better field. So it took me a while because I was so callous. I was not, I was just caught and I wasn't repentant. And so that went on for a few months of my heart and my emotions and my, my soul not turning and truly repenting for several months. So, I mean, obviously I know you and Katie and I know your family well, and I have for a long time, you guys are still married and, and you guys didn't divorce. So obviously there was a change. It had to be a change with you, not Katie, because she's not the one that had an affair. She's not the one that was culpable. And so, man, what, what happened? I mean, what was the turning point? What, what led you to change from where you were, where, man, you know, I may just actually walk out of this marriage to, I mean, there, there obviously had to be a turning point. What was that? And what cultivated that? Well, I'll, I'll give you two. There's two major turning points in the situation. And by the way, just to go back to your point earlier, yeah, Katie, you know, it's like um, people trying to blame women um, and how they dress for, for men's lust. Yeah, women could help a brother out and understand modesty, but it's not their fault that guys will lust, just like it's not Katie's fault I had an affair. Even when Katie talks about our story and, and she, she sees her role and starts to, I don't even like, I, I just like, Hey, you know, honey, you, you didn't make that decision. No matter what you were, what you were doing and not doing on love language and things like that, you know, that, that doesn't excuse me. So, so no, it's, it, you know, K- Katie had the, she even says, Hey, you know, I had the, I had this, I had the biblical out, <laughs> you know, I had the one biblical out. Um, but you know, and Katie's reaction was at first it was holding on, trying, trying to do everything that she thought I needed. So it was kind of like this, this knee jerk reaction of, of, of becoming this, this woman that, that I had falsely allowed myself to be mind mapped into all these years. So for a few months, Katie's trying to, trying to do what she needs to do, trying to be who she needs to be. And I'm just callous. I'm not paying attention. I'm not looking like I'm changing. All I'm doing is, Hey, I'm sorry. Let's move on. Because when you're not truly repentant, all you are, all you do is have regret and remorse. Regret just means, shoot, I'm, I hate I got caught. So kind of regretful because I have a little bit of a, a moral compass. And then remorse, remorse is just, eh, I feel a little bad because that wasn't, you know, right to do. But regret and remorse are not truly repentance. Repentance is, is to renounce and reject and totally just, just drop it off in, in the waste heap. It's, it's behind you. And so I wasn't at that point of rejecting and renouncing and Katie's trying to hold on. And so one of the first things that got my attention several months um, after, you know, after I'm callous and Katie's trying, she, I, you know, she was just emotionally spent. And I guess she just got to the end of her rope. And so I came home one day, our little, a little brick ranch home in Bud, North Carolina. Yeah. The middle of nowhere. And I pull up in our, our carport and our, our little, ranch home you literally can walk into underneath the carport and walk in the door and seat the other in the house it's a small little three-bedroom house you walk into the kitchen katie's car was in the driveway so i do what i always do i just say hey katie you know just see where she was in the house and she never responded which was odd because her car was there i didn't see her anywhere outside so i just go walk into the back of the house where our bedroom was and i, I get to our bedroom door and it's closed it's, just, it's never closed when we're home and that was odd and i began to open the door an open door, it's interesting with something that just catches you off guard, just kind of, I don't know, just kind of mind-boggling a little bit in the situation, how things really 
slow down and how the details just kind of catch up and you notice everything. So I open the door and there's Katie sitting on our made up bed and I just kind of catch a glimpse real quick. Notice once she's bawling, she's crying, which, which is different because Katie's not the crier. I mean, she's the, she's a sensitive emotional person, but we, we make fun all the time. I'm the emotional person in our family, not her. She doesn't, she's not a big crier. Um, and there she is sobbing, which was a kind of like, what's wrong. Then I, then I glimpse in her hands and I notice she's holding my big old 40 caliber Beretta handgun kind of, kind of tilted towards her. So that was like, what is going on here? And so that moment, that instance kind of, kind of shook me a little bit because here's this woman that's, that's crying out, trying to, to save our marriage. And I wasn't listening. I was stiff arming her all I could. I was just, I was just regretful and remorseful. I was just, I was just wanting the pain of getting caught to go bye-bye and let's just recalibrate and forget it ever happened. That's the mindset I was in because not repentant. And there she sits bawling, holding my Beretta. I didn't know if she wanted to shoot herself, shoot me. I didn't know what was going on. All I knew to do was I got the gun away from her and tried to ask her, her what was the wrong. And all she could do was just sob and sob and sob and made out a couple of words about, you know, not wanting to live or something like that. So, that 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 kind of shook me. I was like, "Whoa, okay, there's something going on here." And Katie and I have since talked about that situation. She said, "You know, she, you know, and after we kind of got our marriage back going several years later, it was like she was just so desperate. She wanted she wanted to get my attention. Um, it wasn't necessarily she was looking to commit suicide, or of course she did say laughingly that, hey, shooting me was an option.' She thought about, you know, we we can laugh about that now, but it's." You know, it's not a laughable situation, but it's, you know, it's just, it shows you how free. I guess I hope people can hear, me and Katie are free. We are past this. this, It is as if I'm telling someone else's story. That's how I can almost tell it with such casualness. It's not that it's a casual situation. um, It's that I'm free from it. But that situation right there shook me. It got my attention. It it did hurt me a little bit because I, I I saw the pain on Katie's face. Um, she was, she meant business and she didn't know what else to do other than to shock me with, with that occasion. And so the next one was the biggest one was the, the massive turning point in my life. And where honestly the blessing resides, um, at the end of the day, there's no other answer other than the cross and Jesus, man. There's like, we can summarize a podcast in, 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 in three words, run to well, four words, run to the cross. I mean, that's, that's it. And so I'm, I'm playing arena football in Charleston, South Carolina. And I'd been doing steroids on top of that for about 18 months of my life. So you got, you got a lot of stuff that I'm pumping my body and doing, man. Just, just horrific decisions. Um, and, and, and that, you know, that feeds a lot of things um, in the vein sense and whatnot. And um, I blew my left knee out playing down there um, from all the steroid use. Just tore my patella tendon off my knee. I had to go in there and put four screws in it and put it back together. I know, fun, fun stuff if you're eating lunch. But just the severity of what happened to my knee. And, God used that injury to get my attention and I'm laid up in my hotel room because that's where the team puts you in the preseason is you're, you're in a hotel room until you get into the season and you go get an apartment or whatever. But I'm just laying there one day and man, I've been there by myself. Katie had already gone home and, um, and I was just kind of in like a doze. It was kind of a quiet place contemplating when you're laying there with your knee gashed open, you start to think about a lot. Started thinking about my life when I was 11, started thinking about all the choices I made, um, early on with pornography and, you know, promiscuous lifestyle and partying and binge drinking. And, and of course, um, at that moment for the first time, 
for the first time, the shame, the guilt, and the condemnation was just, man, dude, it was sitting on me like, like a, like a, a full grown African elephant sitting on my chest. Like that's how, that's how out of breath and how just, just inescapable I felt. I mean, I'm sitting there in the dark in a hotel room and all of this stuff at one time starts flooding me. And I'm a pretty optimistic survival type person. I'm pretty chipper, I feel like. Um, I mean, I'm definitely an intense person, but I don't know. I just, my personality is always, well, we're going to find a way. There's always a way. And for the first time in my life, I didn't see a way. I was just like, wow, I have literally screwed up my life. I don't know if Katie wants to stay with me. I don't know where we're going. I got a brand new child. Um, I've got now I've got that pass. What a legacy to leave my brand new child now. Her dad's got a scarlet letter on his chest for the rest of his life. These are all the things that are churning in my brain, man. And I'm just like, and I've never struggled with depression or suicide, but dude, I did that time, man. I did. I could, it was just that, that, that elephant was sitting on my chest. It was inescapable. And, and the chipper guy just felt like I have screwed up so bad. My wife, you know, at that point, my, my wife almost wanted to kill herself. I didn't know what she wanted to do. I'm like, I've messed things up. And just to get to the point, man, because this was so transformative in my life. And I hope people can hear the blessing of how, man, you cannot out God. It, it, the grace, his grace truly is sufficient. And then I, I remember dozing off and having a dream. I'm kind of just in and just thinking. I closed my eyes. And I saw myself just kind of kneeling, and everything was just dark. That's kind of how I felt. It was just dark, man, hopeless. Just, just, I just felt like I could not recover from this. And I remember just kneeling, putting my head down, and just, in a sense, wallowing, just in darkness and, and hopelessness. And I literally, dude, Jay, it's literally as real today, 20 years later, as if it was just happened. And I'm in that hotel room, and I'm... I'm kneeling in, in, in this dream or whatever, and I felt a hand touch my skin, my chin, literally felt the hand. Pick my eyes up, and I see this face. Don't see anything around it. See his face and see eyes. See a gaze and a face. And I immediately, Jay, I immediately, and people can have a doctrinal debate all this all day long. I don't care. I immediately knew it was Jesus. He just never said a word to me. And it was incredible the amount of I went from dark, hopeless, everything you just heard me say. I don't even have the right adjectives to, to, to adequately explain what was going on. But all of that, the moment I gazed into his eyes, Jay, the moment I gazed into his eyes, it was like I saw the universe and every, every ounce of that went away. It was immediate. I mean, it was supernatural. I know that's a weird word for people to hear, but God is supernatural. And he supernaturally engaged me at a moment that I was in a hole so deep I could not see the top. I couldn't see the sunlight. I couldn't see a way out of this. And I just gazed in his eyes, man. And my hope was restored. I, 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 I knew I was okay. I knew he was okay with me. I, I knew, yes, there could be consequences. But that moment catapulted me. And I said, okay, God, I get it. It's not about the affair. It's not about the pornography. Those things are corrosive, corruptive, destructive. Those things lead to death. I get it. All of those are just diagnoses of what was going on deep down inside of me. And that was, I was not chasing after you. My gaze was not on you. And right then and there, I knew I had to keep my gaze on him. I said, okay, God, I'm going home. I wasn't even supposed to go home because I had my knees straightened out. I couldn't drive, but I 
stuck my leg out the window, drove from Charleston, South Carolina to Bun, North Carolina, and I told God, I'm going home. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to keep my gaze on you. I'm not going to go home and say I'm sorry 50 times a day. I'm not going to go try to win husband of the year. I'm going to go try to follow you with everything I have. And whether, Katie, if, if this, this affair it has irreparable damage, I'm going to accept the consequences. In that moment, the hotel room, Jay, man, I just, I can't tell you, like, I wish I had the eloquence and the adjectives to describe the immediacy of the peace and the hope and the joy and that I was okay facing something that was so moments, moments before that was so just fatal, just emotionally fatal. And Jesus met me, man. And I just, I got on that interstate 95 and I went home. I didn't try to go prove myself. I didn't try to go do anything else. I just went home and followed Jesus. And every day I prayed for crop failure. You know, you reap what you sow. And I prayed every day, God, please, just for, not only forgive us, please yield, Katie, mend Katie's heart. Save our marriage, God. Only you can do this. And just every day I just followed after him. And little by little by little, my walk and the trust began to build back. And so those are the two biggest things that catapulted me to this, this, this rescue, if you will. Well, man, no doubt there are people listening to this podcast today and some of them are in your situation. They're the one that had an affair. There are others that maybe will relate to Katie because they weren't the one that committed the affair, but the one that they, somebody had their husband uh, had an affair on them. But man, what I love about your story, and maybe some people heard this word repentance and go, man, I don't even know what that means. I'll I, I tell you what it means. It's what Chad just explained. It's getting to a place of abandon to say, you know what, regardless of the mistakes that I made, I'm going to run to God. And of course, and I know your story well enough to know, everything wasn't rosy when you got home. There were a lot of issues you had to work through. You had to go through counseling but it was the beginning of a journey of a million miles with one step. And it wasn't a step. It was what it was. It was, it was a step towards God. And man, I want to say to our listeners today, I, I, I get it. Some of you that listen to this podcast, you're a believer and man, you love, you love God and, and, and you're going through an affair or maybe you had an affair. The very first step is what Chad just said. It's running to God. It's not trying to fix things. It's not trying to turn over a new leaf. It's not trying to get out all the tools that you can muster and repair something that, quite frankly, you probably could never repair. It's running to God and trusting God that he could do it. And, and I know Chad, and Chad would say unequivocally, undeniably, that God is the reason that his marriage was salvaged. And, and you may be listening to this podcast and saying, listen, Matt, I just don't know if there's hope for my marriage. Well, I know Katie and, and I know there was a season that Chad felt that, and there was a, a season that, that Katie felt that. But the great thing about God is, is he can heal and restore. And that's not just Christian talk. I mean, God says he heals the brokenhearted, and he says he binds up their wounds. He says, lay your burden on me and let me carry it. And that's not minimizing the hurt that those of you who are listening may be going through. I, I, I can't, I've never been through an affair, but I, I can't even fathom the, de the devastation that you're going through right now. But Chad also said that God used his brokenness to not only turn his life around, by the way, first, but to turn his marriage around. And you know, Chad, today we, we've entitled this, this podcast, The Blessings of an Affair. 
we kind of started there. And again, I know people are going, what is the blessing? Well, this is the blessing. It's living proof that no matter how big the mistake, no matter how devastating the consequences, no matter how deep the hurt, no matter how long or how wide the scars are, and even though it may seem like right now there's no hope, God can turn the situation around. Chad, I'd be curious, as we kind of near the end of this thing, man, hearing from you, when we talk about the blessings of an affair, what would you say, Chad, are some of the blessings that have come out of this? I mean, what could our listeners actually hear from you? Well, first it starts where I just left off. It was my personal dedication that God is not a big genie in the sky to rub the lamp and get wishes whenever I need it. Um, His grace is not a license for me to go out and make dumb decisions that are sinful. The blessing for me um, is one, we've had, we got four kids Um, to have four kids after all that is mind blowing because you know, there's a time in my life I didn't feel like I was, even after I got the freedom, I just didn't feel like I, I was like, I felt like I was in God's debt. And we, we are in essence, but I was just, I was in that mode of like, I need to repay God. I need to do these things. I need to, I need to repay him. And he's like, no, you don't need to repay me anything. You can't repay me. Um, the blessing is that Katie and I get to counsel. We get to share our story. I believe that everybody that has a story, don't do like the old song, hide it under a bush. No, let that thing out. Yes, I have gotten arrows and I've gotten emotionally stabbed in the back by other Christians. I was angry for a while and didn't even want to share my story because I had people tell me all sorts of lovely, um, fun things about um, my um, lack of qualifications, even be a pastor, to travel, to whatever else. And it was just very hurtful. But I said, you know what? Forget that. God has saved me. God has forgiven me. And I'm going to go share the story. I'm not in that. I am 21 years clean, Jay. I have never in 21 years seen an ounce of pornography, not even an ounce. I've even really been tempted. Yes, I have to bounce my eyes, but now that I got my gaze on Katie for so long, I'm not even overly tempted about other women anymore. Um, so the blessing is that I, I, I got to a dark hole that took the taste of it all. And I don't recommend, and I pray for my own kids, and I pray for young couples that we talk to and counsel all the time, that they don't have to go dig themselves a hole that only God can reach down and get them out of. But if it takes that deep hole that they can't see the sunlight, then so be it. Because I know on the other side of this, this seemingly tragedy, I know what the beauty, Katie and I, I mean, we, I tease her all the time. I said, darling, if you ever leave me, I'm going with you. I mean, like that's, she, she truly is my ride or die. We have gone through so much. We are so emotionally, spiritually invested in each other. It's incredible to share what we've shared with each other. Yes, we have scars, Jay, and we have wounds. And I want to make sure listeners hear me that those scars and those wounds have not gone. They didn't dissipate. They've just faded and they've healed. So we have those scars and those wounds, but we have so much invested in each other that, man, I, I can't even put into words how, how awesome our marriage is. Do we still have uh, moments of aggravation with each other? Absolutely. But the, how we how that situation changed our emotional temperature with each other, our emotional IQ with each other, how we learn to um, treat each other, what we care about, just totally drastically change. I mean, we don't have the time, but, you know, we, we even put together some things uh, of 12 little things about how, how, you know, we see about what could change and, and what you kind of focus on. But you know, there's some of the blessings, man, just in the, a marriage that is fortified and we get to share that. And, you know, we love walking with other couples that are going through some doldrums and 
and stuff to, um, to kind of use our pain um, as a blessing. Well, and I want our listeners to keep tuned in because my plan is to have, um, of course, we have Katie coming next week to tell her story uh, for our next podcast. Of course, that's every two weeks. Uh, but eventually what we're going to do is have you and Katie on together, and we're going to listen to those 12 uh, things that you guys have come up to kind of a fair proof your marriage. Because I think some people, I wish we had time to get into that today. Of course, we don't. But what are some of those steps that you can take? What are some of those boundaries, those parameters, uh, those 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 lines that you can institute in your marriage and and I'll say to the listeners I know Katie and Chad well uh, I'm not talking uh, with somebody that I mean I've been around them I've been around their kids countless times and and it's real their marriage truly is a great marriage God has healed them totally and completely and Chad when I look at your life as an outsider and again you and I've been friends for a long time and again knowing your family and your wife and your kids as well as I do. And, and, and we're not saying, by the way, that sin is a blessing. We're saying that God can bring a blessing from sin, as in this case, an affair. And even the blessing, there's a blessing in brokenness, man. I look at even God using the injury that you had in football and even God using the affair. I mean, I think about the countless people that you guys have helped. Even today, people are able to, on this podcast, to hear your story, to find out Man, there is hope. It may not look like it, but maybe God can restore my marriage. Maybe God can heal me from uh, being the victim of an affair, or God can heal me as the person who perpetrated one. Uh, you know, I look at not only that, Chad, but man, I see big time how God has used y'all's story to bring hope to other people. I see how it's developed in you a hunger for God. I've been around you when it's just you and I. I, I see those boundaries that you put in your life to protect you from something like this in the future. So yeah, there is a blessing, not only in your brokenness, not only in your injury, of course you would wish it would never happen and anybody would, but see, that's the great thing. And and I want to say something else, maybe to some of our listeners, and it may sound crazy that one day God wants to use your story the same way that he's using Chad and Katie's. There's, there's a verse in the Bible that says, and I just let me just quote it to you because I've got it in my memory bank. It's 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. It says, Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of mercy and the God of comfort. So first of all, it tells you that, that regardless of where you're at, that God wants to show you mercy and wants to bring you comfort. And then the next verse is really the clincher, I think, in regards to the story. And it says this, talking about God, who comforts us in all of our tribulations, so that we may be able to comfort others with the same comfort we have received from God. You go, Jay, what does that mean? Well, what the Bible's saying is, is that oftentimes God wants us to use our scars, our pain, our hurt, and our healing as a catalyst, as a launch pad, that he wants, to take, he wants us to take the healing that we've gotten from God and use it to dispense that healing on other people, which, Chad, is exactly what you guys are doing today. Man, I want you to know, I ha and you know this, I love you. I've got mad respect for you. There's not many people that would get on a podcast that's going to be heard at the level this will be and admit to the mistakes that you've made. And, man, I I'm just not only proud of you, I'm proud of Katie. I'm proud of what God has done in your marriage. And, uh, man, I, I just appreciate your willingness to talk about a subject. And, you know, it goes back to what you said earlier. For too long, we've swept these things. I don't even want to say we've swept them under the rug. We probably have acted as though they didn't even exist. 
And these things do happen. And, uh, man, is there anything that, any final thing, Chad, you'd want to say to our listeners today? Yeah, as you were talking, one, thank you, brother. Um, um, I love you. I miss you. I miss our travel. So, hopefully, we can get some late night bowling. <laughs> and I can redeem myself <laughs> soon. <laughs> but, man, I just want to say, I remember as you were talking, a, a couple that Katie and I have been walking with for years. Um, their scandal was makes makes mine look like Disney World. It's crazy how um, the, the sins are out there and what's hidden and what's not talked about. But this guy, he was in the same position I was. He was hopeless. He just couldn't see a way out. He just felt like all the shame, guilt, and condemnation was on his life. And I looked at him casually and said, I said, hey, bro, I said, I know this is going to sound callous. I said, but you're not special. And what I meant was, I said, and he looked at me and like, what? And I said, your sin, what you've done, your affairs, plural, is not special. It's not unique. You're sitting here wallowing in self-pity going, I'm the only one. How can God save me? It's like, bro, sadly, it's not special. So I hope somebody's listening because I, w- I want to say that Hey, your sin is not special, but it can be healed. It can be restored, but you've got to let go. You've got to run to the cross. You've got to set your gaze on Jesus. There's a lot of, there's a lot of depth to that that I, we can't get into. And yes, I'm excited we get to come back and share what we coin our definite dozen to life-proof your marriage because it's just more than the affair. It's life, man. Life throws a lot at you. But man, I hope somebody that's sitting there, a, a man that's had a one-night stand or had a long-term affair, um, that's, that's, now in a repentant heart, go. I hope you hear that, bro, you are not hopeless. Or even a lady out there, you, you are not unique that God is turning a blind eye to you. And, and, and as First Corinthians 5, 17 says, if you're in Christ, behold, the oldest past, you have to believe this, the oldest past, and behold, all things are made new. And then Romans 8, 1, which is the last thing I'll leave you with for me, which is a verse that I clung to, clung to, is that therefore, those are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. Let me say that again. There's no condemnation. Sin condemns you, but Jesus took that condemnation. So no matter what you do, there's no condemnation, but there's shame, guilt, and condemnation if you allow it and you wallow in it and you don't run to him. So hold on to 1 Corinthians 5, 17, Romans 8, 1, two verses that were pivotal in my life just to kind of get down in my in my soul and believe what God says about those truths that I, I, yes, I have carnage. I have, I've had consequences. Man, I am free. I get to stand here on this podcast, looking out over this this marsh area in South Carolina on our, on our vacation. And as beautiful as this this place is, I, that's what I feel about my life. I, I got the scars, yes, but I feel free. I feel hopeful. I feel redeemed. Man, it's just an incredible place to be. So, man, I hope somebody holds on. If anybody wants to reach out or you know, whatever, man, we're, we're open. We're open to walk with people, to share with people, and we want to see marriages restored because I believe that the, the issues of the world are the issues of the houses. And I'm, there you go, brother. Man, I appreciate it. You know, Jesus didn't come for the righteous. He came for sinners. Thanks for joining us this week on Taboo Talk with Jay Louder. Join us two weeks from now when we get to hear from Katie. We'll talk to you then.